All right, today I have for you something unexpected. The good archbishop has responded to the news that the traditional Latin mass is going to be in some way or another restricted, if not outright suppressed. So I'm going to let him do most of the talking here. Um, this was released as of the time of this recording to my favorite Italian news site, Marco Tosati's website. And the problem is no one in the English-speaking sphere has got this as of the time I'm recording this. So the syntax is going to be a little odd. Um, and uh, so, yeah, just strap yourself in for this one. This is an interesting letter. Archbishop Vigano starts this essay with a sort of broad view of the things he's been talking about lately, many of which I can't go over here. So um, you can guess if you've been following him at all in the last few months and you have an idea. Instead, I'm just going to skip down to the second paragraph and go from there. I'll have a link to this in the show notes today at returntotradition.org. That's the name of this channel with a .org at the end. Skip past the Patreon pop-up because there's no paywall to view my sources, please. All right. So, with uh, without further ado, Considerations on the Dreaded Modification of the Modu Proprio Samorum Pontificum by Archbishop Carlo Maria Viganò. In that speech I dwelt, if you remember, on the fact that even the Second Vatican Council was in a certain way a big restart for the ecclesial body, like other historical events planned and thought to uh, cause upheaval within the body. Even in that case, in fact, the excuses put forward to legitimize liturgical reform, ecumenism, and the parliamentization of the authority of the holy pastors were not based on good faith, but on deceit and lies, so as to make us believe that the good certain that we renounced, the apostolic mass, the uniqueness of the church for salvation, the immutability of the magisterium, and the authority of the hierarchy, could be justified by our higher good which, as we know, not only did not happen, nor could it happen, but rather manifested itself in all its disruptive twisting of values. The churches are empty, the seminaries deserted, the convents abandoned, the authority discredited and twisted into a um, total authority for the benefit of the bad pastors, or rendered ineffective for the good. And we also know that the purpose of this, of this new start, of this de devastating upheaval, was from the beginning iniquitous and malicious, although cloaked in noble intentions to convince the faithful and the clergy to obey. In 2007, Benedict XVI recognized the full right of the laity to the venerable Tridentine liturgy, giving it back that legitimacy that had been denied it for 50 years uh, through misuse. In his motu proprio Samorum pontificum, he declared, Therefore it is permissible to celebrate the sacrifice of the Mass according to the typical edition of the Roman Missal, promulgated by Blessed John Twenty-Third in 1962, and never abrogated, as an extraordinary form of the liturgy of the Church. For this celebration, according to one or the other missal, the priest does not need any permission, rather from the apostolic see nor from his ordinary. In reality, the letter of the motu proprio and of the implementing documents was never fully applied, and the coitus fidelium, which today celebrates in the apostolic rite continue to turn to their bishop for permission, essentially applying the dictates of the indult of the previous motu proprio Ecclesia Dei of John Paul II. The just honor in which the traditional liturgy should be held was moderated by its equation with the liturgy of the post-conciliar reform, by the definition of that extraordinary form and this ordinary form, as if the bride of the Lamb could have two voices, one fully Catholic and one equivocally ecumenical with which to address now to divine majesty, now to the assembly of the faithful. But there is also no doubt that the 
broadening of the Tridentine Mass did so much good, nourishing the spirituality of millions of people and bringing many souls closer to the faith, who in the sterility of the Reformed Rite found no incentive either for conversion or even less for inner growth. Last year, with the typical behavior of the Novatori, the Holy See sent a questionnaire to the dioceses of Orbe in which they asked for information on the application of Benedict XVI's motu proprio. The very formulation of the questions betrayed, yet another time, a second purpose, and the responses that were sent to Rome had to create the basis of apparent legitimacy to lead to a limitation of the motu proprio, if not even to its total abrogation. Certainly, if the author of Samorum Pontificum still sat on the throne, that questionnaire would have allowed the pontiff to remind the bishops that no priest must ask permission to celebrate Mass in the ancient rite, nor to be removed from the ministry for this. But the real intention of those who wish to consult the ordinaries does not seem to reside in this salus animatum, but in the theological hatred of a rite that expresses with adamantine clarity the immutable faith of the Holy Church, and which for this reason is outside of the conciliar ecclesiology, to its liturgy and the doctrine it presupposes and conveys. There is nothing more opposed to the so-called Magisterium of Vatican II than the Tridentine Liturgy. Every prayer, every passage, as a liturgist would say, constitutes an affront to the delicate ears of the Novatori. Every ceremony is an offense in their eyes. Just tolerating that there are Catholics who want to drink from the sacred sources of that rite sounds like a defeat to them, bearable only if it is limited to small groups of nostalgic elderly people or eccentric aesthetics. But if the or extraordinary form, which is such in the common sense of the term, becomes the normality for thousands of families, young people, ordinary people of their choice, it becomes a mark of dissent and must be relentlessly opposed, limited, abolished, since there must be no counter to the Reformed liturgy, no alternative to the squalor of the conciliar rites, as well as in the face of the mainstream narrative of partnership with the Leviathan, there could be no voice of dissent or argued refutation. Nor can we be surprised. Those who do not come from God are intolerant of everything that remembers even remotely an era in which the Catholic Church was governed by Catholic pastors, and not by unfaithful pastors who twist their authority, a time when the faith was preached in its integrity to the people, and not twisted to please the world, an age in which those who hunger and thirst for truth were nourished and quenched by an earthly liturgy in form but divine in substance. And if all that until yesterday was holy and good, today is rejected and made the object of ridicule, to allow any trace of it to remain today is inadmissible and constitutes an intolerable affront. Because the Tridentine Mass touches strings of the soul that the Montinian Rite does not even dare to touch. Obviously, those who maneuver behind the Vatican to eliminate the Catholic Mass are those who, in the modu proprio, see the work of decades compromised threatened with the possession of so many souls who today keep who they keep under their thumb and their authority on the ecclesial body weakened the same priests who like me have rediscovered that priceless treasure of faith and spirituality or who by the grace of god have never abandoned it yet if we put ourselves in the shoes of the novators we understand how perfectly consistent it is with their distorted vision of the church, which is not a perfect society hierarchically instituted by God for the salvation of souls, but a human society in which a corrupt and subjugated authority to the elite it favors and indeed directs the needs of vague spirituality of the mass, denying the purpose of which our Lord willed it, and in which the good shepherds are forced into inaction by the bureaucratic shackles which they are the only ones to obey. This impasse, this legal dead end, means that the twisting of authority can be imposed on the subjects precisely by virtue of the fact that they recognize the voice of Christ in it. Therefore, let us not ask ourselves why, in the face of the multiplication of communities linked to the ancient liturgy, 
the flourishing of vocations almost exclusively in the context of the motu proprio, the increase in the frequency of the sacraments and the coherence of Christian life of those who follow it, unfortunately, to trample an inalienable right and hinder the apostolic mass, the question is wrong and the answer would be misleading. Rather, let us ask ourselves what well-known heretics and unethical violators of the Sixth and Ninth Commandment should tolerate their errors and deplorable life conduct being challenged by a minority of faithful and unprotected clerics when they have the power to prevent it. At that point, we understand well that this aversion cannot fail to be made explicit precisely and only in putting an end to the motu proprio, twisting and usurping their, the use of authority. Even at the time of the Protestant pseudo-Reformation, Tolerance towards some liturgical customs rooted in the people was short-lived, because those devotions to the Virgin Mary, those hymns in Latin, those bell sounds at the elevation, which elevation was no longer the act of transubstantiation, being the expression of a faith that Luther's followers had denied, Novus and Vedas Ordo, as well as between the Catholic Mass and the Lutheran Supper, given the ontological incompatibility between them, on closer inspection, the defeat of the Vedas advocated by the supporters of the Novus is at least consistent with their principles, just as the defeat of the Novus by the Vedas should be. Therefore, those who believe it is possible to hold together two opposite forms of Catholic worship are wrong in the name of a plurality of liturgical expression that is the daughter of the conciliar mentality, neither more nor less than the hermeneutic of continuity. The modus operandi of the, no of the Novatori emerges once again in this operation against the motu proprio. First, some of the most fanatical opponents of the traditional liturgy launch as a provocation the abrogation of Samorum Pontificum, defining the ancient mass as quote-unquote divisive. Then the Congregation for the Doctor of the Faith asks ordinaries to answer a questionnaire, whose answers are practically prepackaged. The bishop's career depends on the way in which he will support what he will report to the Holy See, because the content of the questionnaire will also be known to the Congregation of Bishops. Then, casually during a closed-door meeting with the members of the Italian Episcopate, Bergoglio said he was concerned about the seminarians, who seemed good but rigid, and the diffusion of the traditional liturgy, always reiterating that the conciliar liturgical reform, it is irreversible. Again, he appoints the prefect of the divine worship a bitter adversary of the Vetus Ordo, which constitutes an ally in the application of any restrictions. Finally, we learn that Cardinals Perlin and Ouellet are among the first to want this downsizing of the motu proprio. This obviously leads the quote-unquote traditional prelates to rush to defense of the current regime of coexistence of the two ordinary and extraordinary forms, giving to Francis the opportunity to show himself as a prudent moderator of the two opposing currents and leading quote-unquote only to a limitation of the Samorum Pontificum rather than to its total abrogation which, as we know, was exactly what he had been aiming for right from the start of the operation. Regardless of the final outcome, the deus ex machina of this predictable play is and remains Bergoglio, ready both to take credit for a gesture of lenient indulgence towards the quote-unquote traditionalists, as well as to unload the responsibilities of a restrictive application on the new prefect Monsignor Arthur Roche and his wingmen. Thus, in the event of a choral protest by the faithful and a displaced reaction of the prefect or other prelates, once again the clash between the innovators and traditionalists will be enjoyed. Having then ex excellent arguments to affirm that the coexistence of the two forms of the Roman Rite entails divisions in the Church, and that it is therefore more prudent to return to the Pax Montiniana, that is, to the total prescription of the Mass, as always. I urge my brothers in the Episcopate, the priest and the laity, to strenuously defend their right to the Catholic liturgy, solemnly sanctioned by the bull, quo primum, of, of 
Pope St. Pius V, and with it to defend the Holy Church and the papacy, both exposed to discredit and ridicule on the part of the pastors themselves. The question of the motu proprio is not in the least negotiable, because it reaffirms the legitimacy of a right that is never abrogated or repealed. Moreover, to the certain damage that these breezy innovations will bring to souls, and to the certain advantage that will derive from it to the devil and his servants, is added the indecent rudeness to Benedict XVI, who is still alive, on the part of Bergoglio. Who should know that the authority that the Roman pontiff exercises of the church is vicarious, and that the power he comes from, our Lord Jesus Christ, the only head of the mystical body, and whoever rejects the title, the vicar of Christ, knows that with it the legitimacy of his authority also fails. It is not acceptable that the supreme authority of the church allows itself to cancel in a disturbing operation of the of things we see in the world in a religious key. The inheritance of it has received from its fathers, nor is it permissible to consider outside the church those who are unwilling to accept the privation of the mass and of the sacraments celebrated in the form that has forged almost 2,000 years of saints. The church is not a company in which the marketing department decides to cancel old products from the catalog and to propose new ones, according to customer requests. It has already been painful to forcefully impose liturgical upheaval on priests and faithful in the name of obedience to the council, snatching the very soul of Christian life from them and replacing it with a rite that the stonecutter Bugnini copied from the Book of Common Prayer by Cramner. That twisting of authority, partially remedied by Benedict XVI with the motu proprio, cannot be repeated in any way now in the presence of elements that are all largely in favor of the broadening of the ancient liturgy. If one really wanted to help God's people in this situation, the Reformed liturgy should have been abolished, which in 50 years has caused more damage than Calvinism has done. We do not know if the feared restrictions that the Holy See intends to make to the motu proprio will affect diocesan priests or if they will also affect the institutes whose members celebrate the ancient rite exclusively. However, I fear, as I have already said in the past, that it will be precisely on the latter that the demolition action of the Novatori will be unleashed, who can perhaps tolerate the ceremonial aspects of the Tridentine liturgy, but absolutely do not accept adherence to the doctrinal and ecclesiological structure that it implies, and which clearly contrasts with the secular deviations that they want to impose without derogation. This is why it is to be feared that these institutes will be asked for some form of submission to the conciliar liturgy, for example, by making the celebration of the Novus Ordo mandatory at least occasionally, as diocesan priests must already do. In this way, whoever makes use of the motu proprio will be forced not only to an implicit acceptance of the Reformed liturgy, but also to a public acceptance of the new rite and its men's doctrinal, and whoever celebrates the two forms of the rite will find himself ipso facto discredited first of all in its coherence, passing his liturgical choices as purely aesthetic fact. I would almost I would say almost choreographic in depriving him of any critical judgment towards a Montinian mass in the men's which given its form, because he will find himself forced to celebrate that mass. A malicious and cunning operation, this one, in which an authority that that misuses its power delegitimizes those who oppose it on the one hand by granting the ancient right but on the other by making it a purely aesthetic question and forcing an insidious, an insidious by ritualism and to even more insidious adherence to two opposing and contrasting doctrinal approaches but how can a priest be asked now to celebrate a venerable and holy rite in which he finds perfect coherence between doctrine ceremony and life 
and now and one a lesser right that winks at heretics and vilely keeps silent what the other proudly proclaims. Let us pray, therefore, let us pray that the Divine Majesty, to whom we render perfect worship by celebrating the venerable apostolic rite, will deign to enlighten the sacred pastors so that they desist from their purpose and indeed increase the Tridentine Mass for the good of the Holy Church and for the glory of the Holy Trinity. We invoke the patron saints of the Mass, St. Gregory the Great, St. Pius V, and St. Pius X in the first place, and all the saints who, over the centuries, have celebrated the Holy Sacrifice in the form that has been handed down to us, so that we will faithfully guard it. May their intercession at the throne of God impetrate for us the preservation of the Mass for all time, thanks to which to sanctify us, strengthen us in the virtues, and resist the attacks of the evil one. Signed, Carlo Maria Viganò, Archbishop, June 9th, 2021, in the Octave of Pentecost. So in closing, I would say that was a very impassioned plea from uh, the good archbishop asking the faithful to stay faithful and to seek out the traditional liturgy. You may have noticed that his uh, the content of the things he says over the last three years has become more strident and much more, I would say, on the side of the harder line traditionalists, which is part of the reason why you see certain voices out there now practically using his name as a, a slur, which is unfortunate. Anyway, let me know what you think about this in the comments below. And uh, as always, pray for the church. And like and subscribe if you haven't done so. It does help. Thanks for listening. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.